Well, if you're a first timer here, we're usually walking through a book of the Bible. We've been walking for the last two years, verse by verse, through the book of Acts. And we are going to take a week off today, and we're going to talk about a topic today. And the topic is on faith. Say that word with me. Faith. Say it louder. Faith. And you know, I want us to talk about this idea, and just for this one week alone, to talk about this single series of what faith means. Now, not faith as this is your destiny, but faith as what the Greek word is, pistis. The word pistis is the Greek word to receive. Say that word with me. Receive. And I want to look at some of these things today in understanding one of the characters we've learned from our book study in Acts named Timothy. How many of you remember Timothy, right? In Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey through Macedonia, almost through Macedonia. He arrives in a, tall, in a couple cities called Lystra and Derby, And it is in Lystra and Derby that he finds a half-Jew and a half-Gentile. He's a hapa boy. How many of you are hapa in this room, right? How many of you don't even know what that word means, all right? Hallelujah, all right. How many of you don't even care what that means, right? Okay, most okay, right there. Hapa means he was a half breed, okay? He was of a Jewish background and of a Gentile background, probably a Greek. He was probably Greek that we know of. And this Hapa boy loves the Lord, but and we see that the father is not in, his, in the picture, as we see in Acts 16, but mom is. And this will kind of connect with a lot of moms in this room. Some of you moms, I applaud you. You got to be both dad and mom to your children. I get it and all that. Well, we know that in Acts 16, Timothy had a godly mom. And we know that Timothy's mom's God became Timothy's God, as we know as Jehovah, Yahweh. And as eventually we know as Jesus Christ. And what happens is that Timothy would become the pastor of a city that we just came out of in the book of Acts. Anybody remember that city? What? Ephesus. Ephesus. Last two weeks, we've been talking about Ephesus. All right, we see that he's going, Paul is leaving Ephesus and he went to Jerusalem. Well, that pastor becomes Timothy, the Hapa Brada, right? And Timothy does some great things with the gospel in Ephesus. But at the same time, it is Ephesus that we find out in Revelation chapter 2. You can write this down where Ephesus loses their love for Jesus. The same church that was thriving, the same church that was gospel-centered, Christ-centered, would eventually be one of those churches that struggles and today no longer exists because they forgot the totality of the message was found in Jesus. And so Paul is writing to this young preacher. He Actually, Timothy and Titus is known to be the sons, spiritual sons of Paul. And Paul invests in Timothy. Just like how older men have invested in my gospel-centeredness. And Paul is writing his final two letters to Pastor Timothy. Kahu. And right after he writes these letters, we, we know that Paul dies. He's executed in Rome. And I want to read a passage through the book of Timothy, if you would turn right there. Found in chapter 1. Turn to Timothy chapter 1. And for the reverent of God's word, would you stand with me? In the reading of God's word. You see, Timothy is young. And what happens with young pastors is older men and women 
will try to look down on young pastors. I'm, I'm guilty of it, okay? Uh, I've received some of that. And what happens is that because there's a certain time when you, there's, there's where you come to this age where sometimes you stop growing. Like you think you know everything. Well, tell your neighbor, neighbor, you've not arrived. Say it now. Say it louder. Neighbor, you've not arrived. Now, some of you may be uncomfortable, come to church more often, so you're not uncomfortable, okay? That's the reality. Here's the deal, all right? So we get it over here. Young Pastor Timothy is hearing from Paul, and he's warning Paul about all these deceit that may come on in the church and outside the church, and then he reminds him of one valuable thing, and it's on faith. He says this. In verse 18 to verses 20, he says, this charge I entrust to you. Another word for charge is a commission. I commission you to do this. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. My what? Child. Some of your words may say son. My son. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good what? Right? Was it a dance? Did it say dance? The good dance? It said warfare. Battle. Right? It says holding what? Faith. And a good conscience. By rejecting this, some made, say that word with me, shipwreck of their faith. Among whom are Hamanias and Alexander. Listen to these powerful words. Whom I have handed over to Satan. You should say, mmm. Right? Whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to, say that word with me, blaspheme God. Help us not to blaspheme. Help us to know you. Help us to be engaged with you and in one another. Help us to understand why it's important to gather and to be encouraged and to be challenged, to be corrected because of your truth. God, we love you. In your name we pray. And God's Ohana says, amen. You may be seated. I want to ask this one question. And the question is this, how can we shipwreck our faith? Think about that. As we talk about faith, we see it in our text today. How can we shipwreck our faith? And I want us to look at this in three ways. Number one, we can shipwreck our faith by forgetting how serious sin is. Come on. We can shipwreck our faith by forgetting how serious sin is. Is look at we see it specifically early on in verse 13. Paul describes exactly the sins that he was struggled with. He was a liar. The word he uses blasphemer, which is a liar, a violent person with his words, an insulting person. Next he said he was a persecutor. He beat Christians, he sent them to jail. And he also we know in Acts chapter 7, he affirmed the stoning and killing of Stephen, one of the first martyrs in the New Testament church. We also see that he was an insolent opponent, meaning that he was very evil in his tactical ways on getting Christians in prison and beating them. He was a crooked, listen to me, he was a crooked religious cop. He was one of those cops, like we've learned in the last hundred years, because of the color of your skin, right? He would imprison you. He would treat you wrongly. That's the kind of magnitude Paul was. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent opponent. And so here's it. 
You know, but here's the illustration. How we see sin versus how God sees sin is totally different. Look at this graph on the screen. See, this is how we see sin. Everybody see? Right? We label them. We give them way. Right? But this is how God sees sin. Everybody see it? It flatlines. That's the way. Because, yeah, exactly. Sin is sin. You, you hear a lot of people that talk about doctrine. What is the most worst sin? The most unpardoned sin? You know what it is? Sin. That's how we are wired. In our flesh, we are wired based on statistics. Right? Well, lying can't be bad as, bad as rape. God says otherwise. Oh, 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 stealing can't be as bad as fornication. God says otherwise. And for us, we treat sin like it's a minor thing. But sin damns every one of us here in this room to hell. We all deserve that penalty of hell. Every one of us. Now, you came into this room. You probably wanted to hear a feel-good message this morning. Aole, you're going to hear about what sends people to hell. Sin. Sin. Say it with me. Sin. And God weighs the sin of the world, all sin, the same. You're a sinner. You're a liar. You're a stealer. You're a cheat. You're a fornicator. You're an adulterer. Everything like that. They all weigh the same. It is sin and it leads you straight to hell. Look at what scripture says about sin in Proverbs 28. Whoever sins will not prosper. Proverbs 8. Who, God hates sin. So if God hates sin, that says a lot about who God is and who we are. Isaiah 59, 1-2 says, our sins have separated us from God. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is what? Death. It's not life. You don't get more candy because you sin more. Sin is sin. sin. Romans 3, 20. It's quiet in this room today. Romans 3, 23 says, we have all, not we some, not just adults. You heard me? We all, babies, children, every one of us have sinned against God. Why? Because we've inherited sin from the garden. What is the garden? I'm glad you asked. When God created the heaven and the earth, he created a garden. In the garden lived a man and a woman named? Right? In there, God told him, you can eat of any tree, but don't eat the tree uh, of good and evil. Right? And what happens is they ate of that tree. They sinned against God. Therefore, every offspring that came from Adam and Eve was imputated and inherited sin. You may ask, well, well, why do I sin? Thank you, Adam and Eve. Now, some of you man was like, oh, well, the women went first. Man, you was looking at her when she went first. You was right there, Hawaiian. Right? And that, listen to me, what God intended for this world to be, which is good, holy, right, became a world that's been perverted, that is filthy, that's dead. The God of the universe, and this is what happens. There's only one thing that God said in creation, the seven days of creation, that was not good. Everything else was good, but what was not good was what? That man should not what? Be alone. Man should not be alone. 
And there is some debate on theology on that. Well, if the man was there, how was the woman alone? There was a separation. We know based on the text, there was a time where the woman was alone. Adam, if God made a woman for you to not be alone, why you leave your wife alone? Married couples, think about that. Sin leads us to hell. We've all sinned against God. Look what Russell Nelson says about it. Sin, even legalized by men, is still sin in the sight of God. His doctrine is not ours to change. You guys hear me what's going on? I don't care how you define love this morning. I don't care what the Supreme Court does with marriage in America. You cannot change what God has already established. Can I get a witness? He is God. You're not. You cannot redefine love after 7,000 plus years of this existence. Now you may be the million years uh, Christian and all. You cannot change that. God defines love the way he defines it because he is God. You cannot change that. Oh, oh, but, but if God is love, surely he'll let me, you know, who continues to sin, come into the pearly gates of heaven. That is false. Listen to me right now. If you are in known sin right now, and you're not turning from your wicked ways, you may have to evaluate whether you have a relationship with God or not in this room. Now listen to me. I don't speak as if I am perfect on this stage. I want to speak as if what the word says. There's this thing called self-justification. All right? Now, now again, this church won't be big because of these kind of messages. All right? Self-justification said, well, uh, that was 2,000 years ago when Christ died. That's not sufficient for me today. Again, you're thinking like a man. Let me read that again. Sin, even legalized by man, is still sin in the sight of God. So Hawaii, we've changed bills left and right when it comes to marriage. We've influenced, I believe Hawaii was the one that influenced the Supreme Court about marriage. Listen to me. Everything we live out in this church must be the reflection on God's creation and not man's fallen creation. That's the truth. The reason why we shipwreck our faith, Paul is saying to Timothy, is because we forgot how serious sin is. I have a fan, when we moved back a couple years ago, I was going to be a pastor of a church in Waimea, Kamuela. My mom's side is all from Kamuela, Kohala side. And there's a... Uh, there's a backyard behind the church uh, with, uh, with, the, with the grave sites. And half of my family is there. Now, many of them we know based on history and some stories, none of them knew Jesus. Now, now it would be good for me to think like, oh, they're all in heaven. They all know Jesus, but that's not true. And I see a lot of Facebook, and everybody in this room is saying everybody's going to heaven. Even in, in Ohana Church, you're saying like, oh, well, they knew of God totally different versus knowing God personally. And listen, I don't say that to be a mean pastor up there. I'm telling you the truth so that we would know the truth and it would set us free. But the reason why we shipwreck our faith is because we forget how serious sin is. If you're with me, say I'm with you, Kahu. Okay, that's a little louder. Good. All right, number two. The reason why we shipwreck our faith is number two, by forgetting how good salvation is. Can I get a witness, right? By forgetting it, brah. 
There's a reason to sing freedom. When you see that you're big, uh, you know, Momona Pasta dancing up on stage and all that. I'm not ashamed to dance because I have salvation in Christ. There is goodness in a relationship with Christ. Why? Because I know what I came from. I was a stealer. I was a cheat. I, my own mother I stole from. My father I punched in the face. I mean, I know what it means to be a blasphemer. I know what it means exactly. And God, because of your grace, you did what only you can do in my life. You changed me from the inside out. That's the reality. And that's why when we come into church, there's a reason why we get to shout. There's a reason why we get to sing. There's a reason why we get to be excited. Because I am not who I used to be. But let me tell you something. I may not be perfect, but the one who is perfect is perfecting me to the day I take my last breath. Why? Because God's salvation is good. Look at what 1 Timothy 1.16 says. He, this is how he says his salvation is good. Paul says it this way. But I receive, say that word with me, mercy for this reason. Let's stop right there. Think about it. Like we like to talk about grace, which is great, you know. But mercy is even, is even great like grace because mercy is not getting. Is it to me, saints? Mercy is not getting what we all deserve in this room. Like everyone in this room, we deserve separation from God. He goes in, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, who's that name again? Jesus Christ, all right? That in me, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for what? Eternal life. Why, why, why did God save us? So that people may see Jesus in and through us. He didn't save you just to get a ticket out of hell. He saved you to showcase his glory for the world. So, so how do we shipwreck our faith? It's because we forget how good salvation is. What, what, what makes salvation good? His mercy. He didn't give you what you do deserve. Here's what the scripture says about mercy. Ephesians 2, 4. God was what? Rich in mercy. It's not on the screen. He was rich in mercy and he gave it to us, right? Exodus 33, 19. God tells the Israelites this. God promises to Israel we would, be here, we would get his mercy, right? In 2 Corinthians 4, 1, we see that God had been given us a ministry of mercy. What does that mean? God didn't give us mercy just for the sake of being merciful. He gave us mercy so that we can be mercy. I don't even know if that's proper English, but whatever it is, you got it, right? <laughs> like, like God gave us mercy so we can be mercy. What do you mean by that? You may be the only Jesus in someone's life that leads someone to Jesus. Now, hey, that's heretical that you would say that, Jesus. That's what the word Christian means. Little Christ, imitators of Christ. You may be the closest person in this room that would only lead the people that you're connected with with Jesus that I could never lead because you have a personal relationship with them. So, so why is it important to gather with saints? So that we can grow together. So that we can see that salvation is good. Salvation is Good. And look, salvation is just not found in this warm, feel good feelings. It's found in a person. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm says it this way. 
God's mercy is for his people. What does that mean? God specifically chose people to be his. The New Testament, they call it the whosoever's. The New Testament call it the believers. The New Testament calls it those who call upon the name of the Lord. And here's the biblical truth. Mercy is God's way of reminding us that salvation is of the Lord. Therefore, it is good. Let's make it more personal. Therefore, he is good. So read it with me. One, two, three. Mercy is God's way of reminding us that salvation is of the Lord. Therefore, he is good. This, is cha- this changes how we sing. I mean, you are good reminds us, God, you're good. You've rescued us. You saved us. But I would even take it a further step. And though that's true, God is not just good because he does good things for us. God is good because he's good. No strings attached, y'all. He is just good. That's who he is. Don't let your faith be taunted by your day-to-day life challenges. Guess what? You're not the only one that has Pilakia in your life. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you knew that, that you're, the only, that you're not the only one in this room that struggles in life, okay? Right? Oh, poor me. And I'm not trying to be uncompassionate. I'm trying to let you know. We all struggle in this room. Can I get a witness? We need each other. We need each other. When somebody is missing from the fellowship, you don't know. They may be sick. They, they, may not want, they may be sick of sitting next to you, you know, that's why they're not here. They, they, they're tortured because that's what the world does. And then what happens is we have to draw them back to where Christ first loved them. You remember that old song? I don't know if some of you guys, I grew up in church, so I know a lot of old songs. You remember, take me back. How many of you remember that? Take me back, dear Lord, to the place. Where I first received you. Stop right there. Where I first what? Received you. Sometimes we just got to look back and say, man, God, thank you for salvation. Mm. And that's the line. We, we, we shipwreck our faith when we forget How good salvation is. Number three. We also see that shipwrecking our faith is based on by forgetting the importance of sending. By forgetting the importance of sending. Now, now this word is a new word specifically in our denomination. And a lot of denominations right now, Protestant, evangelical denominations, are doing what they're called church planting. All right? And so church planting, sending is a biblical word, but it's just been coming out in the last 20 years. And what we need to realize is that the word sending, right, allows us to stay focused just like what the scripture does. God sends people. In the Old Testament, God sent prophets. God sent judges. God sent uh, messengers. In the New Testament, God sent uh, disciples, apostles. Teachers, all right, all that stuff. God does that for the sake of his name. And where we come into this idea of sending is church planting. We believe that church planting is an avenue 
to see the gospel, the Great Commission, lived out throughout the world. You see, a lot of us, our gospel is limited because the way we view the gospel is from our American nation. Did you know that America is the fourth largest lost nation in the world? You know, literally in America, Western civilization, our churches look like this, but that's not the norm. That's like 10% of the 100% of what's going on in the world. Most churches don't meet like this. And I'll let you know this, most churches don't meet on Sundays. Some of them meet on Mondays. Some of them meet, some of them, whatever the case is, some of them, they can't meet in a big setting like this because they're persecuted for their faith. We believe at Ohana Church, church planting is going to be a way where people can see Jesus, specifically in Japan. You guys heard the stats? You guys know what we've been praying for for the last four years? We believe that God has called us to plant 10 churches in 10 years. We've already been a part of eight church plants in the last three, almost four years. In the next three years, we're going to plant two more churches, one in Hawaii and one in Japan, specifically at Kanai Station in Yokohama City. And we believe that God has brought some of you here to be those planters. We believe that. You, you may say, well, well, if America is the fourth largest lost nation in the world, then why are we sending people out? Because the gospel says so. The gospel says so. And this is the way we define things. There's a lot of places in America that is post-Christian already. What does that mean? They've already experienced an awakening. They've experienced a revival already that means it's time to move on see what happens in the new testament whenever there was a revival that took place already paul went away he went to the next city he went to the next town but here you may say then why why plant more churches in america then if if america is a post-christian nation already because not all america is a post-christian nation Right now, we know, based on statistics, that the West region of the United States of America is still pre-Christian. Here's where it gets fluffy. Hawaii has not always been a part of America. Hawaii was a kingdom. And so the West region of the United States of America, though it's pre-Christian, Hawaii has been reached with the gospel. In fact, in the 1830s to the 1860s, we've seen the biggest revival here in this city. This city had the biggest church in the world, Christian church. It had over 15,000 15, Kanaka Maolis. Now, the, one of the buildings that they used to reside in still exists today on the hill. You guys know it as Haile. Right across there is the YWCA, where we started our fellowship. That's where Kahu Titus Cohen lived. His family gave that land to the YWCA. And so, and so now because America has taken us over, now we're part of that rest, west, that west region of the United States of America. So it gives us no excuse why we sit on the gospel here. So why plant a church, right? Why plant a church? Well, we believe, even though if there's 150 Christian churches in Hilo, like you probably didn't know that. There's 150 churches in Hilo, evangelical gospel-centered churches in Hilo. We believe that there's a lot of those churches that need encouragement. And the way we encourage those churches is by planting more churches. So the question is, why plant churches? Number one, look at this. New churches attract non-churched people. 
It does. I know that. Did you know that over 90% of our people in the church has been saved in our church? What do I mean by that? They didn't come from different churches. A lot of them came from no church background. Okay? They came from, so, number one, we know that new churches attract non-church people. This is what new churches doesn't attract, religious people. Hilo is probably one of the most, how would I say, unorthodox Christian community I've ever met. You will see a lot of people that jump from church to church or would say like, oh, we don't have to be a part of an organization. But here's the problem with that. You have to be a part of a fellowship. God didn't save you to be alone. And not only that, you have to be a part of a fellowship that's led by qualified elders and leaders. That's how God set up his church. That's why we were cool when people who didn't come from church backgrounds came to our church. Why? Because we could start from scratch. We could really let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. And now with somebody's 20, 20 plus years of methodology. Methodology is not bad, but Jesus is greater. Number two, new churches are the best way to increase the generosity base for all the ministries in the city. Listen to me. You want to see established churches give? Start new churches. When new things happen, people jump on the bandwagon. Can I get a witness, right? Patriot fans. Can I get a witness in there, right? Well, oh, did I say something that wasn't true? Huh? They don't know Drew Bledsoe, Uncle Will. I promise you that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, that's the reality. And some of you are Seahawks fans in here too. Yeah? You guys don't know Seahawks, whatever. All right? But that's the key. When something new happens, people want to jump on the bandwagon. A perfect example is our family, we jumped on the bandwagon this week. Uh, they're starting a new Pop Warner football team down in, uh, it's the old Wailoa Razorbacks. They're now the Hilo Spartans. They're blue and gold like the Hilo High Vikings and all that. And, and also I got, I got to do their strength and conditioning this week. And you we could see the first day we had like five people. The day I came, my family came, we had like almost 30 kids. Because they're excited about new things. You see why we need to start new churches? People love new things. New things. But us established churches, we get hot cow when new churches come involved. It is bad. Let me tell you something. It's bad when a holy pastor tells a kanaka maoli not to come back home and start a church. And his church is about to die. If we, if we come to a part where we feel like this city belongs to us and not Jesus, God shut this church down. This church is not for the glory of Zeke, for the glory of Ohana. This church is for the glory of God. And I mean that without a shadow of a doubt. If we're going to grow, we're going to grow the right way in Jesus alone. If you catch feelings, right there's the door. There's a lot of great churches in this community can, can speak to your needs. And I don't apologize for that. God has not brought us here, all right, listen to me, for us just to catch feelings, sit on it, while people go to hell. You got to get over your feelings. Get over it. Move on. Move forward. And look, some of you are going to be like, some of you, you're going to be sent for the right reasons. You're going to leave these doors for the right reasons because you're going to start new churches. Right now, we're talking about a plant in Pahala. Anybody know where Pahala is, right? 
Pakau area. Yeah, we're, did you know the first Christian, the first Hawaiian Christian came from the Kau area? Right now, there's not much churches going on down there. But we're talking about what does that look like? We don't have no planters. We just have a family that loves the Kau district. That's where it starts. They love Kau. That's where it starts for us. We love Hilo. Our church must be bigger than just planting Ohana church. It must be to the ends of the earth. And it don't stop here in the Hawaiian eyes. It must go to the ends of the earth, like Japan and Asia, the Pacific Rim. But lastly, look at this. New churches are the best way to renew the older existing churches. Then I'm excited about that one. About once a quarter, our church gets with 25 different different denominational churches. And we worship. And, and you got to understand, some people worship different from Ohana Church. You think we're extravagant and exciting? Wait till you come to this event. You got people running in the aisles, falling down, weird spots. You know, they get back problems and they're still falling down. I don't know the concept in that, right? But the reality, look, 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 listen to me. There's joy in all of this. We learn from each other, you know, for so long, different preference of doctrine has separated God's family and church, when really we have all commonality, we need Jesus. And that's where I'm excited about. I'm excited about how our churches will get more excited about church planting because the gospel demands disciples. There is a result what happens in, when we shipwreck our faith, and it's found in verse 18. Would you put it back up again, the verses? Verse 19, excuse me, verse 19. It says this. By rejecting this, what, what is this? The gospel, the truth. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. And now, now here, here's the hard part. You know, when you want to be known by something, you want to be known for something what? Good. Look how Paul drops these names. Among whom... Who shipwreck their faith are Hemonias and Alexander. Number one, listen to me, right? Don't name your children Hemonias or Alexander. We don't have an Alex in this room, do we? Just joking. But look, he says, Whom I have handed over to who? Satan, that they may learn not to what? blaspheme. The same thing Paul was guilty of, he's telling now about these two young men that they're guilty of. They're blasphemers. They're liars. They extort the truth. And here's three different doctrinal views that theologians and scholars have. The first view is that these men, these men are disobedient believers and God is allowing Satan to hinder them, to draw them back to Christ. Here's a second view. These are false believers, and God is giving them over to their leader, Satan. Or here's the last view. These men are roadblocks in the church, and God is protecting his church by casting them out of the church. All three things have been practiced here in Ohana Church. We have seen people lead by their own will. We have seen people leave because our leadership has asked them to leave for a season. But look at this. This did not say that there was an ultimate end to them. We don't know that entirely through all the scripture about these two men. But we do know that God is the God of restoration. 
And we know that we've experienced that at Ohana Church. People have left for a time and they've been drawn back. Why? Because they realize that the faith that saves you is the faith that keeps you with others who have that same faith. Ohana. In Christ alone. I'll end with this biblical truth. Our faith will always be dependent on God. Anything outside of that will cause shipwreck. I want you to hear those words. As we've seen our text today, anything apart from our faith in Christ will cause shipwreck. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're that person that you're shipwrecking your faith, your faith is shipwrecked, and you just need to be encouraged this morning. With every head bow and eye closed, would you just quickly raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. All around, leave your hands up. All around this room, thank you for being so honest. Thank you. God, encourage them. Inspire them to turn. Inspire them to know you. Inspire them to be with you. That they wouldn't just wait when things are rough. But even in the good times, they'll be dependent on you, God. Encourage them right now in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you put your hands down? Every every head bow, eye closed. Some of you in this room, you may say, man, God's calling me to step up. God's calling me to be a leader. Whether it's in the community, in the church, God is calling me to lead something. Just as Timothy and Paul has led people. If that is you. Whenever your head bow and eye close, if God is calling you to lead that something for his name's sake, would you quickly raise your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's powerful. Praise the Lord. God, remind them that leadership is not about authority. Leadership is about humility. Oh, Jesus, you are the greatest humble leader. Thank you so much for your grace. I just feel to ask one more question and then we'll be Paul. In this room, some of you don't even comprehend what this Christian life is all about. And if that's you, thank you for being honest. But I don't want to embarrass you, but but every